Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. I have one thing I want to do before we get started here. Let me read something and remind you. I want to remind you who you are. You are the church. You are the people of God. We are part of God's chosen going back to Adam. We are a community who together represents God. We are individuals whom Jesus loved and died for. Our first instinct upon hearing about a problem or any situation is not to go to ourselves, but to take it to God in prayer. We always pray for each other. We always sacrifice our time and money. We engage in the common vision, and we do it all together. And that's because we're the church. A couple things before we get started on the message. One, we need nursery helpers. A couple weeks ago, I preached on partnering in the gospel. How do you partner in the gospel? You do the things that need to be done. The church is part of that. This is our median, the way in which we reach out to the community. We need people to help us, okay? Two or three people are doing it all right now. It's not right. We need partners. I want to tell you how awesome something is. This week, one person called me and said, hey, I want to know who's doing the landscaping. And I said, nobody right now. He said, let me help out. I said, oh, break my arm. Go ahead. And he did. Some others joined in. It looks amazing. It looks amazing. God is moving when we do that. You say, well, that's just trees and that's just bushes. But that's how we spread the gospel. This is part of it. And we need your partnership. So I need you to do something today. And this is men and women. You have to have a woman there if you're a man to do this. But you can help in the nursery if you're men. I want you to see Madison or see over here Janice. And raise your hand, Janice. Raise your hand. See Janice after service and sign up. You won't be in there very often, but you need to be in there. Everybody needs to take a little chance and take a, take a turn, and it'll help us, and we'll do great things together. And I believe that. And I'm, I'm excited about what God's going to do as we partner together in the gospel. Well, this week, I was in, uh, I was in Marion. I went there to... Uh, Helped mow Steve's yard. He had had some surgery, and so uh, I went up there to help him out and mowed his yard. And while I was up there, uh, I saw Ellie. Now, Ellie's my granddaughter. In case you don't know, she's like the cutest kid alive. She's beautiful, and uh, she's almost three—not quite three. Darcy babysits for on Tuesday, and I went up there, got to go swimming with her and everything. It was fun. But anyway, um, Ellie walked up to me, and as serious as she could possibly be, looked me in the eye, and she said, "Papa." I'm a princess. And I looked at her and I said, you sure are. You are my princess and you will always be my princess. See, people don't understand who they really are. You don't understand who you really are. I sometimes forget who I am. We don't remember our identity. Ellie at this point in her life as a little girl understands and knows her identity with Darcy and I. She's our princess. She knows that. She doesn't have any problem telling you that because she understands she's our princess. But see, most people I meet don't really know who they are. 
They don't really understand. They don't know whose they are, who they belong to. And, and that's especially true of Christians. It's especially true of Christians today. We don't really understand who we are. See, when we're forgiven of our sins, something really amazing happens. It's not like, okay, I was forgiven of my sin, I got my ticket punched, and now I'm just going to go to heaven. In the meantime, I'll just go back and do whatever I want. That's the way we live these days. We've heard too many sermons on grace, and grace is great, and I love grace, and I am saved by grace, and I get that, but we take grace to mean free license to do whatever we want, and that's not what it means at all. When I was forgiven of my sin, I was given a new identity. And I'm, I'm wanting you to get this today. You know, one of the things that frustrates me about people who go to church is you come in here, we come in here, we listen to the message, we hear what God's saying, it's good in here, and then we go out and we live like the world. It's time to stop that. What happens in here should affect everything that happens in the world. When we're forgiven of our sins, we're given a complete new identity. John chapter 1 verse 12 says this, yet to all received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's what it says. Those are Jesus' words. Okay? Romans chapter 8 verse 14, Paul wrote it this way, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. Let me back up here and say something. You need to write these scriptures down. We provide on the back of your bulletin a place for you to write something. Write these scriptures down. You need to know these. These need to become part of your life. John chapter 1 verse 12 is the first one. Romans 8 14 is the second one. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. Now, as far as I can tell, the Scripture teaches that God is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Anybody here agree with me on that? Amen? I, I think He is. That's what I've been told. That's what I believe. And so that means if I'm a son of God, and if you're a daughter of God, then we are princes and princesses of heaven. Because He's the King, and that makes me a prince, and that makes you a princess. And it's about time we start living like that. Because there's a responsibility. I'll tell you right now that people kind of get on Queen Elizabeth because of the way she lives her life. But she has understood that she has a role to play in this world. And she cannot just do anything she wants. Her children don't all understand that. They're acting like spoiled brats most of the time. Marrying people that are spoiled. But she understands her role. She is a queen. We are prince and princesses. We are the sons and daughters of heaven itself. I am a beloved son of God. I don't know if they understand that. That changes who I am and what I do with my life. I remember my dad telling me, whatever you do, don't embarrass the family. At the time, I didn't understand that. Well, I kind of did. But I really grasp it now. He was trying to say to me, look, you know, you're my son. Live like my son. Now, God isn't worried about you embarrassing him. I'll tell you that right now. But God does want you to live as fully as you can into the identity of son or daughter of the king. I'm a beloved son. I think of the story of the prodigal son, and you guys know that story pretty well, but in that story, the, the youngest son takes his inheritance and runs off and leaves, and he squanders his inheritance, and he's living as, as a pauper, and he's living in a pigsty, and he's, he's not living well at all, and he decides to come back as a servant, and when he comes back, his father 
takes him and cleans him up and puts the robe and the ring back on his finger because he's not a servant, he's a son. And that's the story of you. You are that youngest son. You're the oldest son too, but you're the youngest son and you left and you took off and you have lived and squandered your life and then when you came back, you didn't come back as a servant. You came back and he put the ring on your finger and the robe on your, on your back and the sandals on your feet and said, you're a son, you're a daughter. You matter to me. You're not something over here. You are my children. Romans chapter 8, write that one down too. Romans chapter 8, verse 39, Paul reminds us that neither heights nor depths nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love that Christ has for us. How many of you, when your kids misbehave, said, I quit loving you, leave? I hope not. Because my kids did. They, they did things that, that made me crazy at times. They did things that I go, why are you doing that? I don't understand. But I still loved them. And I prayed for them. And I went after them. And that's how God treats you. You're his children. He's not over here going, well, you know, they screwed up and so they're out. Nothing can separate you from his love. His love is eternal. It's forever. He loves you completely. There's nothing that will separate us from the love that Christ has for us. Romans 8, 17, Paul said, if we're children, sons, and daughters of God, then we're heirs of God. We're co-heirs with Jesus. I don't know if you get that and what that means. That's legal language there, but it's really important that you understand it, that you are not just a child, and a stepchild. Uh, you know, we know the story of Cinderella. She's the, the stepdaughter. She, she's cast out because she's a stepdaughter. She's cleaning and taking care of the real children. And, and that's how we live our lives sometimes, like we're stepchildren. We're not stepchildren. We are his co-heirs. That means Jesus, when he inherits heaven, is going to inherit it with us. You getting that? That should change your life. See, we've been given an identity. And we know who we are. And we know whose we are. I belong to him. I belong to the king. And we know we're acceptable to God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus died on a cross and washed us clean so that we could be his children. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's been washed clean. Yet we Christians walk around all the time like we're some sort of whipped puppies, defeated all the time. We're always walking around discouraged and down. I was with a good friend yesterday, a guy I dearly love. He's a pastor friend. And he's an amazing guy. And he walks around with his tail between his legs like, man, look. Life's horrible all the time because he doesn't remember who he is. And we are God's children, which means we can go straight to God anytime and ask for anything, and we can do it in confidence. Because he said he would take care of us, that he would meet every need. You just read that. When you read that with me, you just read that. I don't know if you heard that, but he said because of that, you can ask anything and you can be sure that it'll be dealt with. I believe that. We're included in all the family stuff because we're his children. But I have to be honest with you that most of us fail to live in the confidence of that ID that we've been given, identity that we've been given. We fail to live in that. We fail to live in that confidence. I see it all the time. Well, I don't know. I'm, you know, I don't know if God will heal me or not. He healed so-and-so and he did that, but I, I don't know. And he probably doesn't really want to heal me. Anybody ever heard anybody do stuff like that? Anybody ever do stuff like that? Well, you know, I know he gave you, you know, he gave you some money, he gave you that, but I don't think he'll do that for me. 
I've heard it. We've all done that. Well, you know, I know that God, you know, he, he blessed the people in the Bible, but, you know, it's different now. Why? We're his children, right? And the Bible says that we are given the identity of child, so we need to live in that, and we need to quit living in fear. We walk around as though, well, God can't help me, you know, I'm, I'm different than everybody else, and, and we live in fear. You know, when you don't trust God, you're trusting fear. You're trusting in your fears. You're listening to Satan. He's telling you that God won't. God said he will. I just read it to you. Anybody here believe the scripture? There's a few of you. The rest of you need to read the Bible and start believing in the scripture because the scripture says that he will do what he said he would do. We need to quit living timid lives. How many of you have a good father? Anybody here have a good father when you grew up? Good father. How many of you were afraid to go to him and ask him for stuff? Hey, dad. I got a question. Most of us aren't afraid of our dads or mom, if your dad was maybe that guy that you were afraid of. But somewhere along the way, you went in and you talked to him and you asked for what you needed. I need a new pair of shoes. Tough kid, no shoes for you. That's not how God works. That's not how your dad worked, probably. Sure, we'll get you a new pair of shoes. Dad, can I borrow the car? Anybody ever use your dad's car? few times anybody ever wreck your dad's car well you may not want to answer that question <laughs> anybody have to face your dad after wrecking that car you know it's a fun day but you know he still loved you he still loved you see we we live as though we have no value as though we have no identity we live like we don't matter but we matter ultimately to god right now you have to understand god is crazy in love with us. He loves us. I don't get it. I'll be honest with you. Some of you make it hard to love you on occasion. And I know I do. But God always loves us. Always loves us. And so Paul wrote something in Philippians chapter 2 that I want to go back to. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me. It should be up on the board as well. But Philippians chapter 2, in verses 1 through 5, he wrote these words, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. And each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. And your attitude should be the same as that of Christ. Did you get that part? Of Christ Jesus. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now that makes sense to me. And here's why. It makes sense because we're from the same family. He's our brother. So we need to have a similar attitude to him. There's a family resemblance in all of us when we accept Jesus Christ and when we become a Christian, when we become believers. This makes sense because we are of the same family, the same heritage of Jesus. We have the same DNA. We have the same father who loves us the same as he loves his son, Jesus. And here's the deal I want you to understand. Jesus knew his identity. People would walk around and say, man, he preaches as one who has authority. You know why he could do that? Because he knew who he was. He knew where he came from. 
He knew who he belonged to. And he knew that no matter what happened in this world to him, that was never going to change. Jesus knew that no matter what happened, if everything in the whole world fell apart and he completely was destroyed and hung on a cross, that he'd always remain the son of the Father. That wasn't going to change. He was confident in that identity. He was confident in his heritage And he was confident in his father's love. So he could be absolutely confident in his life as he lived out life. And so moving on down now, verse 6, as we continue through this, he writes this. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, verse 5 and then 6. Who being in very nature God, now this is Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, not many of us will take our titles and our degrees and our houses and our history and our heritage and take them out and lay them down and empty ourselves of them and say, okay, I'm going to pour this out. I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to empty it out and say, I'm done. I'm emptied of that. And then take on the life of a starving child in Ethiopia. Anybody here want to volunteer for that right now? You know, you're going to lay down your house, you know, your 300 count thread sheets, your soft feather pillow, you're going to give up the title of whatever you are at work, teacher, pastor, you know, whatever it is. You're going to give up your status in the community. You're going to go to your bank account and empty that out. You're not going to have anything. You're going to hand over the keys to your cars. You're going to hand over the keys to your home, and you're going to empty yourself of everything, and you're going to move to Ethiopia and take on the life of a child who eats maybe once a day if they're lucky and probably less than that. See, we just wouldn't do that because we're afraid of that. Fear of what might happen to us, fear of being powerless, fear of hunger, fear of of disease and being forgotten, of dying, of loss of comfort and all those things. But that's exactly what Jesus did when he came to earth. He completely emptied himself. He he poured it all out. He took heaven and poured it out. As I said last week, I love that song. He didn't want heaven without us. He loved us so much. He said, I can't live up here by myself in this glory while they're down there in that squalor. He looked at us and he said, man, they're in a mess. Can't live like this. Cannot continue on like this. So he did what he had to do. He emptied himself. He took heaven and he gave it back. He emptied himself of all of his titles. He emptied himself of of equality with God. You and I can't grasp that. That's beyond your ability to grasp, okay? Because you have nothing that compares to that. That's off our grid. And he took on human flesh. And he became one of us. And he, he, he learned what it was to be susceptible to disease and death. And he learned what it was to be tempted by sin And he learned what hunger felt like. And he learned what it meant to be tired. And he learned what it meant to be distanced from those he loved and separated from his father. And my question this morning is this, why would Jesus do this? 
And the answer is simply in the Bible that we get, and there's only one answer, is he did it for love. Because he loved us and he wanted us to love him. He wanted us to be there for him. He wanted us to love him back. And he did it because he knew who he was. He didn't walk around going, well, I sure hope this works out. I don't know. Maybe it won't. I don't know if I should do this. Maybe I won't go. I think of the missionaries, some of those who have left and gone into places back in the day, not so much today. Most of us can continue to communicate with our missionary friends. You know, they, they're still very available. But, but I'm talking about in a day when they would load up on a steamship and they would head across an ocean that they weren't sure about. And they would go to a land that no one knew about and they would forge back into a, a, an area where nobody had been and they would disappear and you may never hear from them again for years. And they gave their lives. And they did it without fear. And the reason they could do that is because they knew who they were. They knew who they were. And that's what Jesus did. He knew who he was. And he was able to do it because he knew he would not be lost. That his father would always be there. His father would always take care of him. He understood the goodness of his father. Do you understand the goodness of God? That right now God loves you so much more than you can be able to even grasp. That God right now has you on his mind. I can't get my mind wrapped around that. That this God of this big world, this world's tiny compared to the big universe that it's in, has me on his mind. He cares about me individually. And I know that. I have prayed prayers that I thought there's no way he'll hear. And he goes, of course I heard you. And he answers them. And he answers them. He cares about us. A friend of mine yesterday, I went flying with him, Mark, my friend. We were flying, and uh, he was telling me about he was out there one, uh, at Anderson a couple weeks ago, a few, a few weeks ago, when there was actually a plane crash at the airport in Anderson. And it was a twin-engine plane that was actually owned by Sam Pierce that his pilot was taking off and something happened and the plane went up and then came down sideways and didn't kill him but it hurt him really badly and thing was Mark was supposed to fly with him that day Mark had said he would fly with him he was going to fly him up to Marion Mark's plane was in Marion and he was going to fly up to Marion and get his plane and fly this guy back because he was going to work on it up there and Mark said you know he had prayed that morning and he just felt in the spirit that God had said don't go don't get in the airplane so he didn't he told the guy I don't think I'm going to do that I'm going to have my wife drive me up there it's going to make a day out of it. So that's what they were getting ready to do when that plane took off and crashed. See, God cares about Mark. He cares about you like that. See, we, we struggle with that. Some of us are going, oh, no, no, God doesn't know me. Yes, he does. See, just because you're not able to know everybody doesn't mean God doesn't. He's bigger than us. He's got a mind that's beyond us. He's got abilities beyond us. And he does care about you, every detail. And Jesus understood that. He understood the goodness of his father. He understood that his father loved him and he knew that his father always would. And he understood that no matter what he faced and what he went through, he would always be the prince of heaven. A prince isn't a prince because of the clothes he wears. A prince isn't a prince because of the position he holds in the world. He's a prince because of who he's related to. He's a prince because he's God's child. He would always be God's son. 
And see, when we know who we are, when you know and get your value from who you are and, you're not, and, and not from what you have or titles or stuff like that. See, a lot of us are running around so busy, so frantic, trying to grasp a hold of more stuff so everybody will say, oh, look, look at them. They've got stuff. They must be important. Oh, look, he's got a title. He must be important. Oh, look, she got that. She must be important. When we know who we are and we get our value from that and not from our titles and stuff, then you can lay down everything. You can set it all aside without fear and you can trust in God completely and your good father will walk with you through whatever you face and he will reward you fully and deeply on the other side because he's a good father. Now, move back to Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 through 11 and I'm going to wrap this up pretty quick here. And this is my prayer. Oh no, no, back up. I'm in the wrong chapter here. Wait a second here. Let me get to the right place. Um, therefore God exalted him to the highest place, okay? He gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, under the earth. There's his reward, that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's coming. Jesus is going to have that happen. That is going to happen. We're all going to bow before Jesus and declare him Lord. Whether you do it here or on earth or in heaven, it will happen. That's getting ready to happen. So with all this in mind, Paul exhorts them to do something, he says, and we move on down into this. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay. That verse has always bothered me a little bit, and so I've been working on that a little bit, and I want to just give you a quick thought on this. What did he mean? He certainly was not saying work for your salvation. We can't make that happen. Our salvation's already been provided through Jesus Christ, right? Everybody agree with that? Our salvation's already been provided. You cannot work for it. You have nothing you can do. You can't offer God anything for it. Remember Simon tried to offer something for his uh, salvation, and, you know, they, they told him that he was going to, you know, basically you're going to die for that if you're not careful. You know, you cannot offer money. You can't offer God your works. Nothing you offer to God is of any value to him except you. Okay, so you can't work for your salvation. Jesus Christ has already uh, died on the cross for every sin that's ever been committed and never will be committed. It's all been taken care of. All you have to do is accept that. He was not asking us to figure out our salvation. That's already been done. So what does it mean to work out our salvation? It simply means this, maybe. How about exercise your salvation? Work out means to exercise. So exercise in your salvation. Join in with. Practice your salvation. That means when you leave church, you don't leave it here. But you live it out. When you go out there, begin to live out your salvation. That, that was pretty good. Uh, partner with your salvation. Get in step with the Spirit of God and, and partner with your salvation. Do what you saw Christ do. You know, read, read the Bible. You're going to have to read the Bible to know what Christ did. But as you read what Christ did, then do what he did. That's pretty amazing. See, most of us, we read that and go, well, that was Christ. This is me. No, 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 no. He gave us his life. He showed us so that we would know what to do. Jesus said that he did what the Father did. He uh, said, I can do nothing except I see the Father do it. In other words, I, I just copy him. And guess what? Our job is to do the same thing. Just copy Jesus. You're supposed to do what Jesus did. Work out our salvation means to exercise our salvation. So first of all, working out our salvation is to allow the person of Jesus Christ to be formed in us. We talk about that, you know, this, this idea of spiritual formation, but sometimes we turn it into something that's not just devotions or whatever. That's not what it is. It's the person of Jesus Christ actually being 
rebuilt in us so that we look like Jesus, smell like Jesus, act like Jesus, because Jesus lives in us. And we exercise that salvation. We go out in this world and we do what Christ would do. Jesus said he could do nothing unless he saw his father do it. We said that, and that's so important. Jesus is inviting you and me to set aside our place of privilege, to begin to exercise our salvation, and to learn to love as he did. So that means setting aside our comfort, our family, our pleasure, and to join with him in the sacrifice of the world. You know, one of the things I've noticed is most of the problems and crimes that are being committed in our world are due to people trying to grasp for more pleasure, more stuff. There's, we should be in great fear of trying to have more things. And we should be in great joy that Jesus said he'd take care of that for us and he would provide for all of our needs according to his riches. And here's the deal. And here's the part I want you to get. And you can do all this because you know who you are. Because you know who you are. You don't have to sit around and worry, oh man, oh man, I may not get anything. I may die a pauper now. No, you're not. You're, you're a princess. You're a prince. You're going to die a child of God. You get heaven. You get eternity. You get it all. And Paul reminds us of that again in verse 13. For it is God who works in you to act according to his good purpose. You're God's children. And I got to tell you something. He's so proud of you. You know, I don't know if God carries a wallet, but if he does, your picture's in it. You know, I mean, people, people all the time, you know, they're talking to me and I'm, I'm like getting out my cell phone and, hey, you want to see something really cute? <laughs> and showing pictures. I'm obnoxious. Showing pictures of Ellie and Olivia, and John Robert, and we got a new baby coming here soon. I get to show more pictures pretty soon here. We're going to have a little guy. His name's Jamie. It's going to be awesome. Can't wait. You know, that's the way God is with us all. You know, you got born in the kingdom. He put your picture in his cell phone. I don't know God carries cell phone. Maybe he does. And he's walking around going, check it out, man. There's Mark. Ain't he cute? <laughs> you know, I've seen your babies. They ain't that cute. They're just like... God does. You know, we're cute to him anyway. Whether I'm cute to you, God says I'm cute. So I'm cute. So. He points to people and says, look at my kids. They're superstars. You know, yesterday a friend of mine was telling me, oh, my grandson, he's the strongest. He's going to be awesome. I'm going, no, he's not. You know, you're a squirt. He's going to be a squirt. You know, not, he's not going to be that big, you know. But, you know, in his mind, he's a superstar already. That's fine, you know. But that's what God is with you. You're a superstar to him. You're in the family business. He can't wait. We're going to receive the body and blood of Jesus today. And I'm excited about that in response to this. I, I don't know if you understand what we're doing here. But we're, we're joining in with our Lord and Savior. He gave his life for us. And we're going to join in and we're going to receive that from him. And as we do it, I want you to remember who you are. See, this is the body and the blood of our Jesus, our Savior. And uh, we're co-heirs with him. It means we participate in life with him and we participate in death. And as you take it today, maybe there's some things in your life you need to say, Lord, I've been hanging on to this. I've been trying to live my life for me. I've been trying to do my thing. 
And maybe you need to just say, you know what? I give that to you. I'm going to lay that down because I know who I am. I'm your child. And I know what you did for me. And I'm going to receive that. Maybe there's some of you here today and you say, man, I have never really received Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I would invite you today as you receive this to just believe and to trust in Him. He will forgive us of our sins. All those who believe and trust in Him are are forgiven. The offer is for anyone, all who believe, all who will trust. You don't have to be a member of the church. You don't have to be a member of First Church or whatever. You just need to believe. And so we invite you all to come. And after we receive the Lord's Supper together today, I'm going to be over here. I'm going to have Neff and Gladys and and Ian. They're going to come in just a minute. And they're going to, Pastor Ian, and they're going to come and they're going to be ministering this and serving this to you. And I'm going to go over there in the corner by myself. And maybe some of you have a special need. And you say, man, I'd just like to have God help me with something. And I need to ask him. And here's the deal. How many of you, back in the day, used to go, hey, come with me to see my dad and we'll ask him together. Anybody ever do that? Amen? Yeah, you know, it was always a little less scary if you had somebody help you, right? Right? And so we're going to go to the Father and ask him together. Okay? So if you've got a physical problem and you need healing, if you've got a financial problem and you need some prayer, if you've got a family problem, a marriage problem, you know, uh, you know, you just got an attitude problem, I don't know, you know, whatever, we're just going to pray for you over there, and I'm going to meet you over there. Maybe Darcy will join me here, and we'll just pray for you, and we'll just ask God to help us and, and just to meet your needs today, okay? And if you don't want to pray, that's okay too. But the, let me read the Scripture to you, and then we'll take communion together here. Paul wrote this. He said, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this and remember me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it and remember me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's a reminder. This is a reminder today of what Jesus has done for me and what he has done for you. So as you come today, please remember and let's receive it together. This is the Lord's body. This is his blood. Take and eat now. Gladys. Ian. And remember, come join us. Okay, so you're going to leave here today, and uh, you know Satan is going to go. That wasn't real. You know who cares if you're really? He said that you're a child of God. You need to tell Satan, leave me alone. I'm a child of God. I'm his daughter. I'm his son. I am a daughter or son of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Go out and live like that. In Jesus' name, amen.